God's people, the Israelites, uh, they have been in Egypt and they have been persecuted uh, by the new Pharaoh. He doesn't really know who they are, doesn't know why they're there. And so God raises up this leader, Moses, of course, who, as we heard last week, was spoken to directly by God directly by God in the burning bush. And so finally Moses reluctantly agrees to go to Egypt and uh, him and his uh, brother Aaron, who's his voice, um, they, they speak. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting God's people go. So God sends nine plagues and then the 10th plague comes, which is the, the most terrifying one, the one where um, the angel of death went over um, the buildings. And every firstborn in every building that didn't have the blood of the lamb over the top was killed. And finally, of course, Pharaoh says, that's it. Okay, you can go. And so Moses leads them out of Egypt. It's an incredible story. But the bit we're looking at today is what happens next. And of course, Moses leads them. They go on this desert road away from the Philistines who might have attacked them and out towards the Red Sea. And the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud. What would that have been like? And then at night, the Lord went behind them. In fact, sorry, ahead of them in a pillar of fire at nighttime so they could see where they were going. But Pharaoh changes his mind. And that's where we're going to come into this story in this, film, in this video clip. And just to say, it does end a little abruptly with a slightly weird advert. So apologies, bear with me on that one. Uh, but let's enjoy a little bit of this. And then we're going to look at the passage together. Apart from the advert at the end, what an incredible scene of God's goodness. Let me read from the passage. We're in um, Exodus chapter 14. If you have a Bible, do you follow it? It'll come up on the screen as well. Exodus chapter 14. Actually, we're starting at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. It's one of those passages where when you, when you read it and you look at it, you could just imagine being there and experiencing this. You know, Pharaoh and his army are approaching and the Israelites look up and they are terrified. Does anyone blame them? I mean, you just sort of think the over 600 chariots and uh, Egypt, with all of its military technology, was bearing down on them. This is men, women, and children fleeing. It's completely understandable. They would have been terrified. And of course, right at the start, as they come and as they pour down on them, what do they do? They cry out to the Lord. It's just there, isn't it? End of verse 10. They cried to the Lord. And you know what? At that point, they had no idea what God would do. All they could see was this terrifying scene. You can just see it at the top there, can't you? It's slightly pixelated. But that picture of them bearing down on them. And they didn't know what to do. 
but they cried out. And we see this all the way through scripture, this idea of crying out to God. Psalm 121 says, my help comes from the Lord. Or 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your anxiety on him. But for them, it wasn't thought through. It was just help. And so, so far, you kind of think, well, actually, so good. They've asked God for help. But then the next thing happens. Verse 11, they cry out to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? And this is where they do less well. Because up to this point, They've cried out to God. Now they're starting to get angry. Now they're starting to blame Moses. And they've got caught up in their own fear and they're starting to to lash out. Often, I I don't know if you find this, but I find if I'm uh, really fearful about something, it's often the people closest to me that gets my, my wrath. And maybe not in quite as extreme situation as this, but if I'm late and I know I need to be on time and maybe my wife's been a bit slow, sometimes I'll just be a bit grumpy with her. And afterwards I'll be like, oh, sorry, I was a bit grumpy. But the truth is, when you're scared, you just lash out. And that's what they're doing here. But what they're accusing him of is ridiculous when you think about it. It's crazy. Are they really implying that Moses was sort of sneaking them out into the desert to sort of kill them? And he's like, ha that was my plan. No, of course not. Moses has just led them boldly out of Egypt. He wants the best for them, but they've forgotten, they've forgotten the goodness of God. And so our first point today, really simply, is we need to, this story teaches us to remember the goodness of God. Hopefully that will come up on the screen. Remember the goodness of God. Do you know what? I I don't know if you find this, but if you wake up in the morning and maybe you're feeling tired or hungry, you're having a hard day, you just don't feel like it. Often you forget that God is good, that God loves you, that God has good plans for you, that God did that thing for you even yesterday. Um, I had a car journey recently where I remember I was really grumpy and I was just having a hard day. And Mel said, let's thank God. And I was like, I don't really want to. But she was like, you are a trainee vicar. You're a curate. You probably should. So we started thanking God. (laughs) And so we thanked God and we thanked God. And as we started thanking God, it was like my spirit changed. We started to remember that God is good. That God has good plans for you. Romans 12 says, be transformed by what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You remember that God is good. That God is good. Well, let's dive back into the story. So verse 13, Moses answered the people and he replied, and actually he's quite gracious in his his reply. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Interestingly, at this point, Moses has absolutely no idea what God's going to do next. He has no idea. All he can see are these chariots coming nearer and nearer. And yet he can say, do not be afraid. And this isn't Moses being a bit of an idiot. This isn't him saying, you know, just do it on a whim. No, Moses has just seen God send 10 plagues onto Egypt. He's just seen God rescue them from what seemed like an impossible situation. He's seen God in the burning bush speak to him directly and call him and then be obedient. And then 
God has come through on every promise that he said. And so when he says, be not afraid, what he's saying is, there's somebody that you can put your trust in so you don't need to be afraid. There's somebody who is bigger than your situation. So he starts off, he says, do not be afraid. And then he says, and I love this, he says, stand firm. Stand firm. Or if you like, it could be stand still. He uses both in this passage. He's telling the people of Israel to stop. Now you could say they can't go anywhere anyway. They've got the Red Sea right behind them. But he's saying, be still. And often, I don't know if you find this, but in difficult situations that we face in life, often God's message to you and to me in those times is stop. Be still and stand firm. And of course, the opposite of standing firm is to go into fear and despair. And we can all probably think of times when we've gone into despair. And I know for me, though, a few years ago, I found a credit card in our top drawer of our house. And I looked at it and I thought, this is my credit card, but it's from a bank that I don't even remember I'm with. And it was from 15 years ago. It turns out I had a credit card and I went into this spiral in my mind on that day going, maybe there's money on that credit card that I haven't paid off. And, and it, got, it, become, it became a spiral of fear and I couldn't sleep. I had about three hours that night and I just spiraled into fear. And what I should have done in that situation was I should have stood firm. And of course, what you stand firm on is what you stand on. You can't stand firm on a bouncy castle. Someone pushes you, you're going to fall backwards. What do you stand firm on? You stand firm on solid ground. And the solid ground that they could stand firm on was who God is and the promises of God. Just to finish that story, in case you were wondering, um, it turns out the credit card, I, I, I did pray. Next day I phoned up Lloyd's and they said, the balance on your account is zero pounds and zero pence. I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> in case you were wondering. <laughs> But we're called not to go into despair. We're called to stand firm. And I was thinking, actually, standing firm on God's promises is probably the best way to do it, on who he is. So for the Israelites, well, they can stand firm on the God who has just rescued them from an impossible situation. For us, standing firm might be something different. It might be remembering that God says, fear not, for I am with you. Or it might be 2 Peter 3, it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. God's promises are yes and amen as we sing that song. So for you and I, when we hit difficult situations in our lives, maybe not with Israelites bearing down us, or Egyptians bearing down us, but maybe it's a difficult situation at work. Maybe it's something we're anxious about even right now. What does God call us to do? He calls us to stand firm on his promises that he loves you, that he's for you, that he has good plans for you, that he will be with you through the highs and the lows. One of my favorite verses talks about when we are weak, then he is strong. We stand firm. But the next bit is to see the salvation of the Lord, or if you like, look to the Lord. Moses tells them, look to the Lord. Moses didn't know what, was God, what God was going to do, but he knew God was going to do something. 
And in verse 14, he even says, the Lord will fight for who? For you. The Lord will fight for you. And so really practically for the Israelites in this situation, to look to God meant they would have to stop looking at the Egyptians. They had to take their eyes off the Egyptians. And they also had to take their eyes off themselves, off their own situation, off the the problems of holding children and trying to gather all their bags and all the treasures they'd taken out of Egypt. In looking to God, they took their eyes off the Egyptians and their eyes off themselves. And they looked up. I was thinking, well, what does that look like for you and me? Well, often when I come to pray, sometimes if I'm not really thinking straight, maybe it's early in the morning, I can come to God and I can say, well, I'm feeling this and I'm feeling that. I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. And it's really good to do that. It's really good to be real with God with what's on, going on in our lives. But the Lord's prayer starts with, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I love you, I look to you. And so actually, I think the best thing we can do when we're struggling is to look up, is to remember that God is good and that he is for you, that he wants to help you. So there's something incredibly honoring about remembering his goodness, choosing to stand on God's promises and fixing our eyes on him, not on our own situation. I thought I'd just share a really practical example of this um, in the last couple of weeks. So I don't know if you know, but Mel and I have um, never bought a property. And so we're trying to buy a little, little flat at the moment um, just, just to rent out. And it's been really stressful and really complicated. I know it's an incredibly first world problem. But I've been going through it and uh, I get all these like terrifying emails from the solicitors. And then the email comes through and it says, you haven't done this. And if you don't do this, you're going to lose it. And if you don't do this, you, know, you could be in trouble with the police because you need to prove all these different things there's loads of like if you haven't done this loads of financial things you need to do anyway it's been really stressful and I felt God say to me in the last two weeks again and again and again give it to me look up stop looking at your situation stop focusing on those horrible emails or stop focusing on that fear over there look up look to me And so my encouragement to you this week is what does it look like for you to stand firm on God's promises and to look up, to look up, to entrust it to him because God is good and he is for you. Just to finish, I wanted to share a little encouragement about what it means to look up and to trust God with what's in our lives. And it's a letter and um, it's a slightly odd one. Uh, I used to be taught by this wonderful uh, pastor who was in his 80s, a really godly Baptist minister. And he'd retired, but he used to do more teaching. And I would go along and hear him teach. And uh, in his office, he found a letter. And his office was locked. We don't really know how the letter got in there. Um, I think the cleaner had a key. He has a key. It doesn't really matter how the letter got there. But he found this letter on his desk. And when he said it in a sermon, I wrote it down because I found it really encouraging. Um, I don't know who wrote it, but I do think it's full of truth. And I hope it's an encouragement to us this week about what it means to look up and to trust in God when we're facing difficult situations. And so it says this. I am God. Today, I'll be handling all your problems. Please remember that I don't need your help 
if the devil happens to deliver a situation to you that you can't handle, do not attempt to resolve it. Kindly put it in the SFJTD box, the something for Jesus to do box. (laughs) It will be addressed in my time, not yours. And once the matter has been placed in the box, do not hold on to it or attempt to remove it. Holding on or removing it will delay the resolution of our problem. If it's a situation that you think you are capable of handling, please consult me in prayer to be sure that it's the proper resolution because I don't sleep and nor do I slumber. There's no reason for you to lose any sleep. Rest, my child. If you need to contact me, I'm only a prayer away. And as with all good things, please pass this on. And so the final encouragement to us is that we can stand on the promise that God will listen when we pray. And that God is there to sustain us and help us in the difficulties. And just one final promise that God gives us. Or we can stand on the promise of eternal life. And this is a gift that we receive the Israelites received um, salvation from uh, the Egyptians. But actually, we have something even greater. Today, we can stand knowing that our salvation is in Jesus and that the gift of eternal life is for us to enjoy now and forever. And just as the Israelites were rescued from their problem and their trial, the ultimate rescue is already ours now. And that is the truth that we can stand on. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for that example of what it means to stand on your promises and to look to you. And Jesus, thank you that you are the ultimate salvation that we all receive. Thank you that we can stand on the eternity that we receive that starts now and is forever. And Father, right now, would you be working in our hearts? For anyone here today who doesn't know you, would you reveal yourself just really gently, show you that you are real? And Father, help us to put our trust and our hope in you and to stand on your word and on your promises because you are good. Amen.